Today, our scripture reading is from Hebrews 7, verses 23 to 27. That's Hebrews 7, verses 23. Let's read it together. It says this, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. You know, watching that video there, I just thought, what a joy to be a part of a church like this, to be able to give towards projects like this one that we are doing. We talk about how our vision is to renew our community through the gospel, and it's the gospel has changed our hearts to want to reach out, to care for the poor, to give of our wealth as Jesus gave up his wealth and impoverished himself so we might become spiritually rich What a joy to be able to give to something like that. My heart was just so moved by that. I thought, Lord, thank you for this privilege of being part of a church and being able to contribute to a project like that. So I'll just commend it to you again. I've been on a a trip with compassion, seen the effects of what they do. I cannot speak more highly of this organization and of everything they do. Whatever you give, it is money uh, well given, uh, a good choice in the way that you can give away your funds. All right, well, let's come to this morning's message. Um, I was thinking as I was preparing this about one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, and his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Lloyd-Jones once made a very clarifying statement on what Christianity is on the one hand and what it is not on the other hand. And he just simply said that Christianity at its very heart is about good news. It's not about good advice. It's about good news, not good advice. And of course, those two things are very different things, aren't they? If someone says to you, hey, I have some some advice for you, and of course, it's going to be good advice, what are they saying? They're saying to you, I'm telling you something that if you do it, your life will be better. And of course, the assumption behind what they're saying to you is that you can do it. If you just do A, B, and C, your life will get better. That's what good advice is. Good news is something entirely different than that, though. News is something that's already happened. It's already happened in the past, and and you can't do anything about it. It's an event. It's something that's occurred. All that you can do now is to respond or to react in light of what has already happened. This is the distinction between good news and good advice. And it is this distinction that Lloyd-Jones was trying to point out is really, it's the dividing line between Christianity 
and every other single world religion, spiritual path, any secular way of thinking. What he was saying is, Christianity is good news, everything else is good advice. Then he illustrates this, and he, he asks us to imagine a, uh, a king and, and a country, a capital city in this country, and a good king who oversees this, this uh, country, and all of a sudden, there is an evil king who has begun to cross the border with his army. He's invading into this, this king in this country. They're burning everything in their path. They're, they're killing people everywhere they go. And so the good king takes his army. He sets out from the capital city to meet against and to fight against this evil king before he can get to the capital city and do the damage that he wants to do there. Now, there's two potential scenarios that happen when this battle occurs. Two potential things that could happen. First of all, the good king wins the battle, and if he wins the battle against the evil king, what does he do? He'll send messengers running back to the capital city, and those messengers will run into town, and they'll say, hey, everyone, good news. The king has won. Now just rejoice, throw a party, live your lives in light of what your king has done for you. You're free. Isn't that good news? That's what the messengers would say. But then there's a second potential scenario, and that's that the good king loses the fight. And if he loses the fight, he does not send messengers back who herald this great good news. What does he do? He'll send military advisors back. The military advisors will gather everyone in the city together, and the military advisors are going to say to everyone, listen, heed our advice. Every single one of you, grab a weapon, grab a sword, whatever you have. Grab it and fight for your lives. Your very survival depends on what you do. That is the distinction between good news and good advice. Every other world system, whether religion, spiritual path, secular way of thinking, every single one of these systems is about advice. You know, here's the advice of Oprah. Follow her, her advice and you'll be happier. Here's the, here's the Buddhist teaching. Follow the Buddhist teaching and you will find enlightenment. Here are seven keys to successful living. Implement these in your life and your life will go much better for you. In other words, follow our advice. Fight for your life. You must do it. It depends upon you. But Christianity is very different from this. Christianity sends messengers, messengers who say, God has done something. He's done something already in the past, and what he has done changes absolutely everything about this world. Hear the good news and respond in light of what God has done for you. And of course, this is what Christmas is all about. This is the heart of Christianity. This is what we're trying to get at in this series is that God has saved us. He sent his son into the world to rescue us. This is the big picture of Christianity, but we want to drill down deeper into that. And so we're getting more specific. We're asking, okay, what exactly did God send Jesus to do in this world? Why did God become a man? Let's get more specific. Let's drill down into it so that we can learn how to rejoice in the good news of what God has done. So, in the big picture, let's begin broadly, and let's just ask this question. What is the good news of Christmas? Here's the answer. Christmas is about how God became a man in order to do something, something he fulfilled already in the past. 
He became a man in order to fulfill the office of a prophet, a priest, and a king. Now, I know when we first hear that, we kind of just go, wait, I was expecting some really good news that was supposed to be very exciting. I don't even really know all of what that means. And that's okay, because these concepts are Old Testament concepts. If you're not totally familiar with the Bible, if you haven't grown up in church, even for those of you who maybe have grown up in church, some of this might be kind of new to you, these concepts. And so what we need to do in this series is a little bit more teaching than we normally do. We need to unpack some of these Old Testament concepts. But here is what I'm trying to show you. If you'll take the time to listen and to learn, You'll discover that not only will you understand the good news of what Jesus has done for you, the good news, not only will you understand it, it'll be very, very practical, life-changing. This, this is where the rubber hits the road on some of the most important issues in your life and in my life, but we got to do some of the Old Testament background work, we got to do some teaching and really dig into it in order to get there. So here's how I want to begin today. I want to start again kind of with really big picture of what are we talking about with this prophet, priest, king thing. What is all of this? And then we're going to zero in on how Jesus fulfills the office of a priest. Okay? Big picture. Then how he fulfills the office of a priest. And hopefully we'll see a little more clearly what this good news really is. All right. So first of all, let's just think of the big picture. This whole prophet, priest, king thing. What are we talking about here? This is what theologians call the threefold office of Christ. An office is just means an official role, an official position, like when we talk about the office of the prime minister. It's an official position to perform an official specific function. So what we're saying then is that the good news of Christianity is that God sent Jesus into this world at Christmas to take on not just one official role, but that Jesus came into this world to take on three official roles, three functions, three things that he had to come to do for us. So just like the image with the king and his country that I referred to earlier, what we need to do right now is to kind of back up and see the big story of the Bible so that we see how prophets, priests, and kings fit into all this. Okay, So back way up to the beginning. When God created humanity, we enjoyed at least three things. First of all, we enjoyed true knowledge of God. Adam and Eve knew there was a God. They knew what God was like. They understood the meaning of life. These things were clear to them about reality. Secondly, they had not sinned. And so the biblical word for this would be righteous. They lived rightly. And so therefore, they got to enjoy dwelling in God's presence, to walk and to talk with God himself. And then thirdly, God was their loving and benevolent king. God ruled over them. And because they lived under God's great and good rule, they enjoyed harmony with each other. Wouldn't that be great? A marriage that was just perfect, good communication, all those kind of things, never having problems. And they also enjoyed harmony with the planet that God placed them on. But as the story moves along, when Adam and Eve sinned against God... They lost all three of these things. First of all, they, and then subsequently us, this is where it comes to you and I, our minds became darkened. 
We did not see reality correctly anymore. In other words, we forgot a lot of the things we learned about God way back in the garden. These things disappeared from our memory. We became ignorant, and so we began to believe false things about the Creator. We began to think maybe the Creator does not even exist. We could not explain basic things like Adam and Eve could understand, like what is the meaning of life? What is right and wrong? What is God like? Our minds became darkened, and we became ignorant. Secondly, when Adam and Eve sinned, and when we sinned, we also became guilty. We rebelled against our Creator, and so judgment then hangs over us. We no longer could dwell in God's presence, so Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, and we today also are not dwelling in God's presence, walking and talking with Him, for we have sinned against Him. And then thirdly, where we once lived under God's joyful and good rule, we came under the power of our enemies. We became slaves to sin and to evil powers. So we could put this threefold problem of ours like this. Our problem is threefold. First of all, we are ignorant. We do not understand reality correctly. We are guilty in the second place because we are all sinners. And third, we are all slaves to our own sin and to evil powers which we cannot overcome. So this is where this gets super practical for you and I. Our problem is complex. It's not simple. It's multifaceted, as you see here. It's complex, and we cannot save ourselves. This is the great story of the Bible, that we cannot free ourselves. We're not smart enough to understand the great mind of God and what he is like. We're not smart enough to discern everything about like what happens after death, the meaning of life, exact things with right and wrong. We cannot discern what is true. We cannot cleanse ourselves of our guilt. And also, we cannot free ourselves from evil powers which are far more powerful than us. So then we come to this point where there our only hope is that maybe God might do something for us. And this is where the good news of the Bible comes in. The good news of the Bible is that God in His grace did not leave us in our ignorance, in our guilt, and in our slavery. No, right away, right from the beginning, God began to work to free us. So here's the Old Testament background. Here's what He does. He gives three gifts to the nation of Israel. Those gifts are these offices of prophet, priest, and king. And so God begins to free people through the nation of Israel. And here's how it works. He first of all gives them prophets. God speaks truth to the prophets. The prophets then speak truth to the people so they can understand what is true about God, about reality. They begin, their ignorance begins to be lessened as they see the truth. Then secondly, God gives priests to the nation of Israel. The priests then offer animal sacrifices so an animal now can die in the place of the person so the person does not have to be punished for their sins and the priests pray for the people to God. The priest reconciles people back to God then. So a prophet reveals truth, a priest then reconciles, and then God also gave kings, and the kings were supposed to rule in a good and benevolent way, keeping God's people free from their enemies. The prophet reveals, the priest reconciles, and the king rules. But even in this Old Testament time, this was not perfect. The prophets only revealed parts of the truth. The priests had to keep offering endless sacrifices because people kept sinning. And the kings often abused their power. They did not do the things that they were called to do. And so God promised that one day 
he would send his Messiah, that is his chosen one, his anointed one. And this, listen to this, this one man would do what hundreds, even thousands of prophets, priests, and kings could not fully do. This one man would take on all three of these roles and would fulfill all three of them perfectly. So this then is the message of Christmas. In the really big picture, why did God God become a man? God became a man to fulfill all three offices. So this is good news, not good advice. Look at what Jesus does for us. This is the big picture. Jesus comes, first of all, to solve our ignorance. He takes on the office of a prophet. As the prophet, Jesus comes and reveals truth to us. He is the truth. He is the word become flesh, so that when we hear Jesus talk, we are hearing God talk. He reveals to us the truth about ourselves, about who God is, about what is right and wrong, what happens when we die, how we can be rescued from death. All of these things, he fulfills the office of prophet, granting us understanding. Then secondly, Jesus comes to deal with our guilt for that. He takes on the office of the priest. And we're going to talk about this this morning. So very quickly, though, what that happens there is he fulfills the office of a priest in order to reconcile us back to God. And then we're going to see next week. He comes to also free us from slavery by taking on the office of a king. And as our king, he defeats all those enemies that would oppress us, that would destroy us, granting us freedom. So when you put all of that together, what we're saying is Jesus can't, comes to do, came to do, For us, what we could never do for ourselves. He does not come to give advice. He comes to do something. God became a man in order to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So last week in part one, we saw how he perfectly fulfills the office of a prophet. Doing what all the prophets could not do, he did. That was part one. Now we want to consider the news of what Jesus has done to free us from our guilt. So today is part two. Having looked at the prophet who reveals, today now we look at Jesus who is the priest who reconciles. Jesus, the priest who reconciles. So that was lots of big picture Old Testament stuff. Let's come now to ask some just very basic questions about what we're talking about with a priest. All right, so here's the first question. What is a priest? Here's an answer. A priest acts as a mediator between God and people. How? By offering sacrifices for their sin and praying on their behalf. So a priest acts as a mediator between God and people by offering sacrifices for their sin and praying on their behalf. I'm going to unpack all of this this morning. It's a bit of a long sentence, but it just has to be that long. Here's what Hebrews uh, chapter 5 and verse 1 says. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for their sins. So the priest is appointed by God. First thing the priest does is offers up sacrifices, animal sacrifices to God. And then the next thing that we're going to see is the priest also intercedes. The word intercede means to pray on behalf of another. Okay, so that is what a priest is. Here's a second question to just clarify things a bit more. How does a priest differ from a prophet? 
Well, in one way, they are the same. They're the same in that both are appointed by God. Here is what Hebrews 5 verse 4 says. No one takes this honor of being a priest for himself. You're not allowed to just choose this position, but only when called by God just as Aaron, who is the first high priest, was. Now, here's a a chart that shows how a prophet and priest differ, okay? So here, first of all, is the prophet. Notice the arrows are going down. God calls the prophet, then God speaks truth to the prophet, and the prophet, in turn, speaks truth to the people of God. So the, the, the direction is more this way. The priest, though, is a little bit different. The priest is appointed by God, but the priest is representing the people. The people bring their sins and their problems to the priest, and the priest now acts as a mediator between the people of God and God himself. And so the direction goes more this way. That's the distinction between a prophet and a priest. One more final clarifying question. It's this. Third question, why do we need a priest? This is where everything gets super practical for us. Okay, all this Old Testament stuff. Well, man, this is lots of Old Testament teaching. Why do we need a priest? You've got to be able to answer this. This is super important and super practical. On one level, of course, what we're saying is we need a priest because what is a priest doing? A priest is mediating between people and God. The go-between the advocate, the lawyer, if you will, the mediator between people and between God. Now, here, here's the big point, though, where this does not fit with our culture. People, of course, today would say, why would I need a mediator? I mean, if, if you ask someone, when you die, do you think God is going to accept you? People just say, yeah. And then, of course, the big line is, I mean, I haven't murdered anyone. And the next big line is, I'm not Hitler. Uh, so why wouldn't God accept me? I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. So the assumption behind all of that is, I can walk right into God's presence. I do not need someone else to mediate for me. I, in my own goodness, can walk into the presence of God. That's the assumption behind all of that. Ah, but this is where we need to listen to the prophets again of old. For the prophets are the ones who say to us, you do not see reality correctly. There is truth that you need to learn And some of the greatest truths have to do with you and your sin and who God is. So to summarize the Old Testament prophets, what do they teach? Well, here's some of the summaries from the New Testament. The Bible says, first of all, there is no one righteous. No one. No, not one. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And as a result of this sin, the Bible goes on to say that man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. And anyone who is found guilty before God will hear the worst words that can ever befall a human ear. They are these words, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I know that's not popular, what we just said there. But this is what the prophets have revealed. This is the truth to us. This is the the way we need to understand reality. It does not begin with good news. It begins with bad news. The bad news is because of what we have done, because of how we have fallen in our first parents, Adam and Eve, we have a big problem. Our big problem is that we are all guilty. Every single one of us. 
And because we are all guilty of sinning against God, we are also going to face judgment. And here is even the worst problem. No amount of advice can help you. How, how can advice clear your guilt? Once again, this is where the Bible is saying you've got to got to understand reality, you've got to understand the problem, and your problem is so great that you cannot fix it. But remember, Christianity is not bad news, it's good news. That's what we said from the beginning, and again, this good news begins way back in the Old Testament, and what God does is he appoints the office of a priest. So important. God provides a priest because a priest acts as a mediator between us and between God. The priest stands between us, and the priest then offers up animal sacrifices to God for our sins. We'll explain more of that in just a moment, but what we're also going to see is that no priest could fully save us. No Old Testament priest can do this. And so all of this points forward to the only one great high priest there is, and that is Jesus Christ. The entire book of Hebrews is about this. If you want to learn more about it, it argues that Jesus came into the world to be our great high priest, to clear our guilt and to bring us back to God. So this brings us to the heart of the message now on how Jesus fulfills that office of high priest, what he did for us. So remember, there's two parts to being a high priest Offering sacrifices for the sins of the people and praying or interceding on behalf of the people. Now let's see how Jesus does that. We'll get a little more teaching and then it all will come together for us, okay? So first of all, let's say this. That Jesus, the God-man, is the final and ultimate high priest. Here's why. Because in the first place, he offered a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Something done in the past, remember, news, something he did in the past, and what he did in the past is he offered a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Here's how it worked in the Old Testament, first of all. If you sinned, you would come to the priest with an animal, and instead of you having to face judgment for your sins, you would take the animal, you would place your hand on the head of the animal, You would confess your sins over the animal, symbolically transferring your sins onto the animal. The animal is then symbolically held to be guilty, and since the punishment for sin is death, the priest would sacrifice the animal. So your sins get covered by the blood of the animal. This is great, but there was problems with it. A few reasons why there's a problem. First of all, these Old Testament priests, they themselves were sinners. And so they had to offer up their own sacrifices for their own sins because they can't even just come walking into the presence of God. That's why Hebrews 5 verse 3 says this, because of this, he being the, the high priest in the Old Testament, is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And there was a second problem. The Old Testament sacrifices could not actually totally wash away your sins. They could only cover your sins. And they could only deal with it one at a time. And that is why thousands upon thousands of animals died. Because people just keep on sinning and sinning and sinning. And so more and more animals must be sacrificed. I mean, really, priests, you know what their job really was? They were professional butchers. The blood flowed, thousands upon thousands of animals, 
facing the judgment that should have come to people, but God found a way for it not to come to people. But man, that's a high cost. That's a lot of blood, and it had to keep going. There's no stop to it. And all of this then points us forward to our need for a better priest, for a better sacrifice, somehow a priest who doesn't have to keep offering sacrifice for his own sins, somehow a sacrifice that could be good enough that it could just be offered once, not to keep on going. And this is the news of the Bible. This is what Hebrews is all about. Jesus is the true and better high priest, and Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. He is both the priest and the sacrifice. First, he is the perfect priest because he is without sin, and therefore he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself. This is why Hebrews 7 says this, he has, Jesus, has no need like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So Jesus offered, does not need to offer sacrifice for himself because he's sinless, but notice it's also saying he offered up once and for all a perfect sacrifice. So whereas the Old Testament priest had to keep on offering sacrifices, Jesus does not have to keep offering because his sacrifice is once and for all. Whereas the Old, sac- Old Testament sacrifices could not do away with sin but had to be perpetually offered, Jesus offers it once. And so Hebrews 9.26 says this. This brings it all together for us. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. He's already done that but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Okay, so you stuck with this. That's a lot of Old Testament teaching, but here is what it all boils down to now. Here is the good news, but first to recap the bad news. The bad news is this. You and I are guilty. We have not loved our creator. We have not obeyed him. We have not loved other people. We must come to grips first of all with this. And so the question then is, How will you cleanse yourself of your guilt? How are you going to do that? All the other systems of the world offer you advice. Go on this pilgrimage. Repeat this mantra. Do this meditation. Perform these rituals. The secular path would be to say, just tell yourself you're a good person. Don't believe in ideas like sin and guilt. Just say those aren't really true. I might not be perfect, But I'm certainly not guilty. But look deep within your own heart. Do you really want to say that you're a perfectly good person? What about those parts where you've not been? That's the parts we're talking about. I'm not saying you haven't done good things in this life. We all have. What we're dealing with right now is guilt. Guilt over our past sins. You might say, well, I'll do better from now on. That's advice. Do better from now on. Okay, You might do better today, but what are you going to do about the sins of yesterday? See, this is the question you have to be able to answer. How are you going to cleanse yourself of your past sins and the guilt that comes with it? 
the message of the Bible is you can't. No matter how much advice you follow, no matter how many rituals you do, how many pilgrimages, whatever it might be, you cannot cleanse yourself. So yes, the Bible puts you right down to the spot where you cannot save yourself. You're in this totally helpless and totally hopeless position. And until you get down to that spot and understand how bad the bad news really is, you'll never be prepared to receive the good news and see how good it really is. When though, however, you come to that spot, and I pray right now the Spirit of God works in your heart that you say, I don't know the answer to that, but I want to know. If you're at that spot, now we are ready to hear the best news you could ever hear. And it is the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that God has found a way to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And that way is for him to send his one and only son into this world. That Jesus would come into this world to do something for you. And what does he do? He takes upon himself the role of the high priest. And he does what all the Old Testament high priests could not do. And he offers himself as the sacrifice, doing what all those sacrifices in the Old Testament could not do for you. Jesus offers up himself as the perfect sacrifice. Your sins must be punished. The only question is, will they be punished in you or will they be punished in Jesus? And the good news of Christmas is, Jesus came voluntarily to take it all upon himself. He is the lamb who says, I will take all that sin upon my own head. I will be the one considered guilty. I will be the one who has my throat slit and my blood will pour out. I will do this all for you so that you can be cleansed of your sins. And anyone who comes to him then gets their guilt cleared. Anyone who comes to him gets their conscience cleansed. And all of those sins are wiped out and you're made clean before God and you're reconciled back to your creator. That is why, if you've been around church, we sing these great words. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement, that is full cleansing, totally get rid of sin. Can it be? Oh, hallelujah. Praise to Yahweh. What a Savior. Hallelujah that God would become a man and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is good news. And if you're in that position this morning, you're saying, I want that, I want that cleansing. All you have to do is come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Please do this for me. And listen, no sin is too great. No guilt is too much that the blood of Jesus is not enough to cleanse it. He is able to save you. Come to him and say, Jesus, forgive me. For he has perfectly fulfilled the office of the priest. In the first place, remember the two parts, in the first place, by offering up himself as the perfect once and for all sacrifice. But remember, there's two parts to the office of a priest. The second part is this. Here's the second reason Jesus came. Jesus, the God-man, is the final and ultimate high priest, not just because he offered up the perfect sacrifice, but also because 
He always lives to intercede or pray on our behalf. To intercede or to pray on our behalf. Now, maybe again, this is maybe a newer concept to you. Let, let me just quickly unpack it. This one's not hard to understand at all. What do we mean we're saying Jesus intercedes for us? Well, if you know some Bible stories, let me ask you a second question that will make it all clear when you can answer it. And the question is this. Why did Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, go down to destruction while Peter, the denier of Jesus, was saved? How do you answer that? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Both totally go against Christ and betray him. Why is Peter saved in the end? Well, remember the story in the critical moment at the Last Supper when Judas is about to betray him, uh, betray Jesus. We read that as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him, and then Judas goes and betrays Christ to his death. But do you remember what Jesus predicted to Peter? Satan was also involved there. Jesus predicted that Peter would betray him, and then what did he say to Peter? He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You have an enemy, Simon. He's way more powerful than you. He has asked to sift you as wheat, to, in other words, basically to crush you down. And then Jesus goes on and he says, but, Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What was the difference between the two of them? Jesus interceded. Jesus prayed for Simon Peter. There was absolutely no question that after Peter denied Jesus those three times, he would repent, he would be restored, and he would be saved. Why was there no question? Because there is one who can speak to God the Father, one whom the Father will always listen to and always grant his requests, and that is the Son And Jesus, the Son of God, had asked the Father that Simon, after he had been tested and tried, that his faith would not fail, that he would be saved. Now, here's the big practical point. What is Jesus doing right now in heaven? (laughs) You've got to be able to answer that question. Oh, it will do your soul so much good. What is Jesus doing in heaven right now? One thing he is doing is interceding on behalf of his people, praying to God the Father on behalf of his people. The Old Testament priests would always pray to God that he would have mercy upon the people, but here's the great problem. Those priests all died, so their work ended They can't continue their work, so they they can't continue to intercede. So now the people don't have a priest to pray on their behalf. And so then you have to have another priest and another priest and another priest. you got to have thousands of priests lest you stop being prayed for. Oh, but not Jesus. He died and God raised him from the dead, exalted him to his right hand. Jesus is the final and ultimate priest, and because he ever lives... Here's what Hebrews 7 says, the former priests were many in number. Why? Because they were prevented by death from continuing office. So you've got to have many, many priests. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. He holds it permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. He, he never dies. 
Consequently, here's the big result now. Oh, this is good news. Listen to this. Jesus is able. Oh, I just, I just like to sit on those words. He is able. What's he able to do? He is able to save Not partly, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. My heart needs to hear that today. I'm a weak man. My faith falters. I need a high priest. I need someone who can save me to the uttermost. I need someone who's able, who has that power, that ability. Oh, and this is the great high priest, Jesus, who is able to save us to the uttermost. This is so important for our lives. Let me make it more practical. you got to remember Christ ongoing, right now, present intercession for you. you got to remember even when you become a Christian, and here's why. You become a Christian, but you still commit sins. And in some ways, let's just be honest, once you become a Christian, those sins in some ways are are psychologically harder to deal with. Before you become a Christian, you don't consider it sin. You just go on your way, or you don't see what it really means. When you become a Christian, you learn more and more about who God is, how holy He is. You start to see, man, sin, sin is really, truly wicked. I can't believe I would do that. And there are moments then when you come before God and your heart is so broken and like Adam and Eve, you think to yourself, what I've done, I cannot be in the presence of God. I've got to hide from him. I'm going to move away from him because like Adam and Eve, you know intuitively, I cannot be in the presence of such a holy God. Oh, in those moments, you need to remember your high priest. Listen, what you need in that moment when sin is, the shame and the guilt of it is coming down on you. Oh, and, and especially when it's one you've committed many, many times. And you maybe just think, can I really come back again? And all that's coming down on you. What you need in that moment is not advice. What you need in that moment is good news. Advice just will tell you, do better next time. Here's what you could have learned from that. That's good, true, sure. But advice cannot cleanse your guilty conscience. When you sin, you need news. And the news is Jesus continually intercedes on your behalf, even now with this sin you're thinking of. So when you sin, run quickly to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where it says this, My children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. We have a mediator. We have one who's standing before God the Father. And what is he doing? He's speaking on our behalf to God the Father. Who is he? He is Jesus, the Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So listen to this. When you sin... You need to go confess your sins to God and then realize Jesus always stands in the presence of the Father speaking in your defense. And what is he saying? He's saying something like, Father, here are my scars, my hands, my feet. Father, you have fully accepted my sacrifice on Barton's behalf And so, Father, I'm asking that you would remember that because of what I did at Calvary, I'm asking that you would remember it now for this sin in this moment. 
And what does the father say to the son? The father says, son, you're right. I absolutely accept your sacrifice. That sacrifice that you made is of infinite value and worth. That sacrifice, I was the one who sent you as my plan out of love for humanity. You are the one who voluntarily did it. I have received it. It clears him. Barton's sin is cleared. I receive everything that you did back at Calvary. This is the son interceding always, always. And he's the high priest so he can do this forever. You need never worry that you will not have someone to speak on your behalf and in your defense. And so then once you've confessed your sins, once you remembered Christ's intercession for you, then you need to run to somewhere like Romans 8.33 and you need to just start shouting out these words. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies through Jesus Christ. And you look out at the whole universe and you say, who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, get this now, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He died, he was raised, and his work continues because he ever lives, and his work right now is to continually intercede for his people. And that's why we're going to sing in just a few moments these great words. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, which is always, while in heaven he stands, no tongue, no one can bid me thence depart. No one can do that. This is good news. And it is a world of a difference from good advice. This is the dividing line between Christianity and everything else in the entire world. And we see it in the message of Christmas. What you need and what I need is someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We need someone who can clear us of our guilt. And praise be to God, his great plan was to send his son into this world out of love for us. And the son voluntarily took up the father's mission coming into this world. Why did he come? First, he came to be a prophet He came to teach us about reality, to teach us truth so we understand things correctly. And then he came to fulfill the office of a priest, a priest to offer up once and for all a sacrifice that has the power to cleanse us of all of our sins, and then to fulfill the office of a priest who prays to God on our behalf, and he can continually fulfill that office because he always lives to intercede for us. So friends, this morning the call is very simple. If you're not a Christian, and you've heard this this morning, I hope it's been plain to you. I know that's a lot of Bible teaching, a lot of Old Testament teaching, but I hope it's become plain to you. It's very simple if you break it down. You were made by God, but you and I are guilty of our sin. We will be punished for our sins unless somehow that guilt can be cleared. And God has done for you 
what you cannot do for yourself in sending His Son, that Jesus will take that punishment that you and I deserve upon Himself, and all you need to do is to come to God and to say, Jesus, please forgive me and cleanse me. Will you do that today? I'll pray a prayer in a moment, and you can pray after me if that's on your heart. And if you know Christ, then rejoice in Him as your great high priest this Christmas season. Rejoice in the good news that He came to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Let's pray, and if you would like to have your sins forgiven this morning, pray along with me. Pray something like this. Father in heaven, I confess that I have sinned against you. I am sorry for my sins. I do not make any excuses for them. And I ask that Jesus' sacrifice would be for me. I ask that Jesus' blood would cleanse me of my sins and reconcile me to God. Forgive me, and I give you my entire life to be lived for you. The Scriptures say that if you pray a prayer like that, if you confess your sins, that God is faithful and He is just and He will forgive you of all your sins and He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so, Father, we give thanks to You and praise You that You would do this for us, we who are undeserving, we who have not loved You or worshipped You as we ought to as Your creation, but that You would do this, giving up Your most precious Son for us. And Jesus, that You would voluntarily do this, to offer Yourself up as that sacrificial lamb on our behalf. We praise You for Your sacrifice. We praise You that You are our great high priest. We thank You for the work that You have done for us. It's in Your name that we pray.